Hey guys, this is Jody Cedric from Zimware and Rotafest. Welcome to Rennie Dole's podcast, where you never know what's going to happen, but it's going to be very, very fun. So let's get with it right now. Oh, we're going to take and get us going here in a second. I'll do the introduction. Yeah, and good good news. We're live on Facebook too. That's all working today. Go. I love it. I love Thanks. it. So we'll uh, we'll take and just have some fun. Let it flow. We'll do what's natural. Screen just changed. Was that you, uh, Chris? Yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're full screen with with our faces now. Okay, good. It's like I got to say, I love that fan over your head. It reminds me of uh, when I was five years old, went to Disneyland and had a beanie with the thing. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I've been told I look like uh, Inspector Gadget with the go-go copter. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and, I do too. And the GTA Alpha on your uh, on your t-shirt. Cool. Yeah, that's um, I, I've I've got too many of these kind of t-shirts too. Okay, got I it. You picked that out specially for Gordon, didn't you? A uh, little bit, a little bit. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I'm, 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 you know, you should have taken care of a brother here. You should have. Where's my cool shirt to wear? I know. Me? Come on, Renny. So, okay, here we go. Hey, this is the Renny Doyle podcast. And in this case, uh, the webcast also. And today we've got somebody that's just absolutely amazing. Uh, a gentleman that, uh, you know, if you don't know him, once you know him today, you're going to want to know him. Uh, to be around him. Uh, he's got a draw that uh, is just amazing, and uh, if you're a car person, is that draw is even going to be greater. And to tie in his passion for the automobile and be an entrepreneur, uh, I'll tell you, it's just I love watching the gentleman uh, work relationships because it's sincere, uh, it is it's magical, and he's an, a pretty pretty amazing human being. So, Gordon McCall, welcome. How are you? Oh, Rennie, thank you. That's, uh, that's quite the introduction. Uh, thank you so much. Well, I'm serious. We, uh, you know, I'll go back. Let's, let's travel back a long, long time ago. And you were, you were busy, so I'm, I'm, I don't expect you to remember it. 20-plus uh, years ago, we had a uh, customer of ours that had a jet, and they had arranged it to be at the MotorWorks event. And they wanted us to go down and get it detailed. And I was, you know, I'm really into I enjoy a cigar now and again. Well, back then, your event tied in cigars. There was a tie-in to cigars, right? Yep. And uh, I went back there. Mr. Drackett was his name. I can't remember his first name now. Marty. What's that? Marty. Yeah, there you go. He introduced the two of us for five seconds. And I got you told me your story about being a detailer. And from that moment on, I was blown away because I looked at what you were doing back then. And it was such an inspiration, you know, because here's this little guy and I'm looking up to this guy that's doing these, these magical events and tying in with the right people and everything else. So I'm going to read off a little bit of your resume, if you don't mind, because well, you're, you're a guy that doesn't like to brag about himself. So I'm going to brag about, about okay. you. Okay. All right, Randy. So President and CEO of McCall Events, Director of Motorsports at the Quell Lodge and Golf Club in Carmel Valley, co-founder of the Quell uh, A Motorsports Gathering, the Quell Motorcycle Gathering. He was the founder and producer of McCall's Motorworks Revival at the Monterey Jet Center. Uh, this is the kickoff to the party for Monterey Car Week. It's amazing. Something that we've been involved with, with uh, PNS and the Mafia for, for years now. Uh, this blows me away. He's got an upcoming TV series. Uh, I'm going to let you talk about that a little bit here in a minute. Co-founder of Monterey uh, Motor, uh, Motorsports Park, Garage Condos. Uh, it's It's... And it all started, you got to go back before we even go into this. So uh, a resume like this, where'd it start, Gordon? You know, like a lot of us, Rennie, I think it started really, really young. You know, I, I don't know too many kind of diehard car folks, whether it be guys or gals, that uh, got to start when they were in their 30s or 40s. It's usually something that a seed was planted by a grandfather, a father, a neighbor. Um, you know, I love that World's Fastest Indian movie where they, they showed the kid that kind of, you just could not leave Burt Monroe's garage and he took him in under his wing. There's a lot of that going on. And I think, I think a lot of people got their start that way. That's certainly how I got my start. Um, I lost my dad when I was eight. So it wasn't my father that I got it from, but I had a mom 
who knew I loved Matchbox toys, Corgi toys. Uh, Chris and I were just talking earlier about those. Uh, they had a huge impact on my life. So as a little kid, you know, I was, I was racing cars on the carpet and had construction jobs going on and fighting wars with my little, my little scale, scale model cars. And it started there. That and sports really were the two things that uh, interested me the most. You know, I basically got through school so that I could pursue uh, those two interests, sports and cars, and I'll throw motorcycles in there as well. So it started off as, at a young age, and I just kind of stayed with it, Rennie. You know, it's one of those things where I think when you find a passion, you know, you may not even know you have it. it it's just something that you're driven by. Uh, you wake up every day kind of thinking about this is what I want to do. Uh, you know, I, I went down that path, I just, and I stayed on it. I think that's the thing that uh, is, is important, that you just – you know, I think when you mentioned my resume there, it makes me sound like I am a severe sufferer of adult attention deficit disorder. <laughs> I definitely have a few plates spinning. But, you know, all the things that I do, quite frankly, Randy, are related. They, they all cross over. They're all connected. Ultimately, it's all about people. And I think in the detailing world, I think everyone that's in that line of work would agree it's about people. You know, as much as it's about skill, it has a lot to do with people and your relationships. And so... You know, I just, I kind of went down that path. I, uh, I ended up getting a scholarship to Pepperdine to go play baseball, which um, overwhelmed me at the time because uh, I was always thinking about cars. You know, on the mound, closing out a game, I'm thinking about cars and motorcycles. <laughs> and so I, uh, I, gave up, I gave up the baseball dream and pursued the car motorcycle dream. Went off to Europe and got trained, came back, um, opened up a little business in Carmel with a couple of friends and... Uh, this was after a short stint at a Ferrari dealership, which, which taught me a lot. Um, and so I got into the mechanical world of cars for, for quite a while. Um, so when you went to Europe, what did you go study? Uh, I went to trade schools, two trade schools. Um, they were factory authorized trade schools where you get certified uh, and come back. It's similar to what, similar to what you're offering, uh, detailers. You know, I, I committed to uh, uh, several three-month programs, which then I was able to come back to the States with a certificate talking about what I had accomplished. And what it really did for me was it, um, I, I love learning. I absolutely love learning. And so it, uh, it taught me a ton. You know, I thought I knew a little bit about cars and bikes going into it, but I knew nothing uh, ultimately when I got there and uh, learned a lot, came back with the certificates and, and you know, opened up an independent shop. Um, and this was, in the, this was in the 70s. So, uh, and I just kept my foot down. You know, I ended up that business uh, essentially wore me out a little bit, the mechanical restoration business. Um, uh, not to sound disparaging, uh, I had a lot of wonderful cu uh, customers, a lot, of, a lot of great clients that I still have today as, as friends. But quite frankly, a lot of people that can afford to buy a Ferrari can't afford to keep it. Mm -hmm. and, and so I kind of started becoming the bad news. It's so, you know, when when a customer would throw a rod in a 308 GT4, it's, it's an expensive repair. I was kind of looked at as the bad news. Like, really, does it this way? It's like, look, I, I just, I charge by the hour. This isn't, you know, this wasn't my fault. This, you know, and so I started bringing headaches home with me. I ended up selling that business is what I ended up doing and um, got into, which brings me to how you and I know each other. Um, I got into the part of the business that I view as the good news, which is the detailing side of it. There is nothing more satisfying than making a car look as good as it possibly can, if not maybe a little better. Love is that it. kind of what brought you into uh, Monterey, uh, where it was kind of to a new level uh, of doing things for the, the different events uh, in the area? What, what well, brought you into that, the, to kind of the big picture uh, sure. Sure. Well, so I'm from both my wife, Molly, and I are, are from the Monterey Peninsula. We, we've both been here our whole lives. And so it's kind of nice that this crazy car thing essentially broke out in our backyard. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Makes it kind of convenient. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if I wasn't a car person, it would, it would be meaningless, right? So while I had my what I refer to as a finished restoration business, after I sold my mechanical business, uh, my, my, my mechanical skills were still being applied in the cosmetic world of detailing because like I said earlier, I love to learn. So I was teaching myself back then. There were no Rennie Doyles available. There was no detailing success that I could go to. And I had to teach myself. And, you know, we're all using 3000 RPM, Black & Decker, rotary buffers, you know, practically steam powered with wool pads, with horrible compound. I mean, it was, it was you know, if, if you got good at it, you really, you really were a committed, dedicated person because there was no... There, there was no easy path. 
Um, I think you would agree that was the yeah, stone. You're laughing because it's, boy, if that isn't the truth. Yeah. So, you know, the idea of the cosmetic side. So we were doing a lot of show preps, uh, getting a lot of cars ready for the Pebble Beach Concours, uh, other shows as well. And during that process, I was recruited by an auction company called Christie's, <clears throat> excuse me, Christie's International Motor Cars. Um, and in the process of being recruited, I was being recruited for my kind of my background knowledge in vintage cars. But what I ended up bringing to the table, and this was something that wasn't done prior to this, which is kind of funny to me. I'm always looking for kind of new innovative ideas, right? Um, there, no one was looking after the, the car care component of the auction arena. Now that's entirely changed today. There isn't a major auction today that doesn't have a crew of trained professionals that come in and, and you know, help present the cars, right? Because you would think the people that own these cars would send them completely in the wrapper dialed in, looking as good as they possibly could. I came up, you know, that was back when we, that expression, help us help you, you know, like you're asking us to sell your car, but you're sending us a car that's got low air in the tires, the old dead fuel you can smell across the room and faded paint. Like, really? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the best that's, you got. So, yeah, so I ended up starting, I partnered with McGuire's and uh, Barry McGuire was a, a, a dear friend. I was helping him get his products uh, more involved in the Concord world. And I ended up bringing McGuire's to the table for the Christie's account and hiring a team and traveling internationally with the Christie's auctions, which was really cool because that wasn't being done before. Wow. You know? What uh, year, what, what, what point was this? What time frame? This would have been the late 80s. Wow. Yeah, so it's been a while. And like I said, now you go to any of the auctions, any of the big auctions, they all have, you know, hired professional detailers, you know. Yeah, they, they assemble those teams from all over the, the country. Yeah. Bring them in so something that. tells me it was a it was a fairly decent idea and uh, something I really enjoyed. Um, you know, and I, I, I was, a, it added a little cachet to my own little business. It's like, oh, really, you're the official so what I ended up doing though, which is funny, and this is where my connection with, uh, with Bob Phillips and with Dave uh, and with you, quite frankly, Renny, that ties back in. I started- By the way, Bob, Bob is on, he says hi. Hey, all right. <laughs> all right. Morning, Bob. Probably after his morning run. So uh, the, uh, the idea of promoting the Meguiar's products during this time was, was really satisfying and it was really neat to see what was going on. And I thought, well, I've done what I said I was going to do. I was going to get the company behind the ropes in the Concord world, get collectors more aware. You know, if you recall back then, Meguiar's was a brand that was associated more with Pep Boys than it was the Pebble Beach Concord. You know, they were a high volume producer of quality products, still are. Uh, but the Concord thing was something Barry was very interested in getting involved in. So after I felt like I did what I said I was going to do and what we agreed to do, that's when I sat down with Bob, who prior to that, Bob was a faceless person to me because the PNS brand I'm familiar with uh, back to the 70s. I used to buy from their traveling salesman and I think it was even an unmarked white van. I don't even think it had a PNS logo on it at the time. Chuck, I believe, was his name. He came by my shop and I'd buy high tone glaze, uh, ready to use glass cleaner, PNS fast wax. You know, this, keep in mind, this is when there weren't there weren't trucks doing this. So they were, they were really revolutionizing the detail business by coming to you, you know, coming to your shop. But I didn't realize there were, there were names behind the P you know, what, what is PNS? Well, Bob Phillips and his brother, they've taken the company for over from his father and founded it. I just got the biggest kick out of that. Well, I sat down with, with Bob one day and said, you know, I've been, I've been promoting the Meguiar's brand. How about we talk about coming up with my own brand? And it was a lot of fun that we, we partnered together, uh, came up with a line of products, uh, collaborated with Dave. I had a fun little polished product that was, at the time, pretty neat deal. We got into the Harrington catalog. We got written up in Auto Week magazine. Uh, I had an interesting partnership that I put together and realized, uh, if anything, I made a mistake and went with partners that were too powerful. In other words, this little wax company off on the side was so minute compared to their real world. I mean, Roger Penske was an example. He was one of my partners. These guys had much bigger eggs to fry than, than this wax company. And so as I needed, as the company was growing and I needed the cash call, 
I, I, I had a tough time with it. And I ended up just taking the company back. And someday I wouldn't mind relaunching it because quite frankly, there's nothing in, Rennie, you know this better than anybody. There's nothing more satisfying than seeing your name on a product that you believe in and helped create, you know? Um, it's funny, last night late, I walked into the shop. Yeah. Something, and I happened to look over at the rack to, uh, to my left and I saw the products there. And I went, you know, Rennie, here you you're, you're a kid that grew up in Colton, California. Yeah. Uh, probably most people, the bets were off. You know, I just wasn't <laughs> gonna do it. And for some to have a your name on a on a product, it wouldn't mean much. But for guys like us that started the way we did in our love affair, uh, for the people we're involved in with, and and then also for for everything vehicle wise i'll just yeah. encapsulate it into that yeah it means a lot doesn't it it sure does and it also i think the most meaningful thing because that's obviously it's a business that we ramped up from nothing from a concept came up with what i still think are the coolest bottles in the business um i have a few around here still i'm really proud of the look we came up with the whole messaging the quality of the products and everything but more importantly than the products themselves and getting them to the marketplace was the relationship that i developed with bob PNS is is an amazing company. They really are. In this day and age of of big companies that make things, uh, PNS is is hands on. Bob and Dave are, are two of the most amazing people I've ever met. Um, I've never heard Bob say no. Uh, he, he, that's not possible. You know, he's just he's that kind of guy. So, you know, the friendship goes way beyond the products. But I think that's the most important thing that came out of that uh, experience was, uh, was this ongoing relationship with both Bob and Dave. Uh, I can't say enough about PNS. You know, it's funny because Chris has what we call uh-oh moments, and that's when Rennie's got an idea. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, oh boy moments. Oh boy, oh boy, that's it. Oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. Like, well, you know, Bob's, Bob rolls with it really good. And I can tell you, sometimes together we'll come up with the answer – no, because it's just not possible because both of us are dreamers, you know, right. or we'll take it to Dave. We'll have this brilliant, brilliant idea for a new product. And we take it to Dave and he's like, you guys realize that you can't make that. Right. <laughs> it's not possible. Not you know? possible. It's not possible. What are you guys talking about? So we've learned yeah. to kind of go to the engineer, chemist, product designer first with our ideas before we, we develop the product labels. You there, know? You go. there you go. Hey, let's, let's go back to something for a second. You sure. said something really amazing is that, you know, you're, you're building your, 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 your auto care business. You're building up the relationships and it starts going into other things, you know, Christie's mm -hmm. events is I've always, I say that 70% of any business, if you take, the finances, if you take um, the, the, the bookkeeping, the skills, the marketing is, I say 70% of it is how you market self, yourself to the relationships you have is being wholesome. And I think that's what I've seen a good example of, of you, Gordon, is that when you're, you know, when we're at your events, when, when we see you in action, you keep your cool. It's a very, I remember coming to you a couple of years ago and you're, you know, your party and I was like, Gordon, is this thing coming together? And you go, oh, yeah, Rennie, we've got this. And like three hours later, I mean, you're, you seem cool, so cool and collective. But I've watched you work the relationships with some really, really famous people. How, how important do you think relationships are, even in a small business like a detail shop? Oh, they're everything. They're, they're absolutely everything. And I think that's where, in, in my case, because I often wonder, you know, so, you know, don't, I, I, thank you for recognizing that. I, I, on occasion, recognize it as well. I'll walk away from a situation and think, well, I'm so glad I just kept things kind of level and, you know, just methodical, et cetera. And I've got to tell you, that comes from sports. You know, anybody that's participated, I don't care what the sport is. If you've been under pressure in sports and you've got a team that you're working with, you know, you don't want to let anybody down. It, it just, that really emphasizes the importance on keeping, keeping a level head. You know, I've always looked at it as there's nothing more difficult. And I ended up being, I, I was a starting pitcher, but I was a reliever also. And man, when you're called out to the mound and it's the bottom of the ninth and you've got a two run lead and the bases are loaded, that's wow. pressure. You know, that's pressure. You want to deliver, you know? And so I kind of look at that in business. It's like, you want to deliver. Um, you know, I've always believed really the only thing you have, and I don't care what the size of your business is, this scales up and it scales down. 
the only thing you really have is your reputation. You have your name and you have your reputation. And, you know, it's, it's the thing that you need to be the proudest of. And so whatever it is you do, just do it to not only protect your reputation, but create it. You know, you, you, you want to be known as that person that is the go-to person. And again, I don't care what the line of work is. It can, it can be in the automotive field or not. But if, you, you know, if, if you're into paintless dent repair, be the best paint. At least, you know, don't never believe you're the best, but just always try to be the best. And I just think that reputation thing comes back to me all the time. That's why, you know, you'll actually, you'll see my name on, I've put my name on things. And it's, and to me, that kind of goes to show that I, I'm all in on this because I'll, I'll do everything to protect that. Let me ask you this, and I'll, I'll tell you our story, my story afterwards. That first time that you had to put your name on an event or a product or, a, or, or, or something, was it a tough decision to say? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, it actually took some arm wrestling uh, from a, a, a mentor of mine, a very good friend, a guy named Bill Cargus, uh, hugely successful individual, but just really wonderful person as well, uh, his entire family. Um, Bill suggested to me many, many years ago, he said, you know, this thing you're doing at the airport, which next year will be our 30th year of, of hosting 3000 people uh, for this kickoff event that you referred to earlier. Uh, Bill mentioned early on, you, you know, it's funny, Randy, you mentioned the cigar connection. Mm -hmm. Initially, that event was called Cars and Cigars. Yeah, yeah. It, which quickly became politically incorrect. Right. Um, there was also another kind of an unintended consequence of that, which was you can't smoke around corporate jets. There's, <laughs> there's a lingering episode that uh, things can get ugly real fast. So I had to shift gears on the name. And that's when, you know, God, what do I call this thing? And Bill, I was having lunch with him one day. This is a lot as many years ago. He said, you know, if you don't put your name on that event, someone's going to steal it. <laughs> oh, wow. And I just thought, w what do you mean? He goes, no, you know, it, you need to own this thing. This is your idea. This is, you know, your hard work. This is, you need to put your name on this because if you don't, someone else will try. And I just thought, well, I'm not, it's not about me. It, it, in that day, that event that we do is not about me at all. It's about everyone else that's there. And it's good to be a conduit to make that happen. But I, I was very reluctant, going back to your question, very reluctant. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. I, there's, you know, it's going to look, to me, it's going to look self-aggrandizing. If I put my name on this thing, it's going to look like, oh, who's this guy I think he is, right? Um, which is not who I am. Uh, but I can tell you, I've learned, I've learned that lesson. And it also, when you hang your name on something, it, it, it does, you can't hide behind anything. No. <laughs> it's yeah. your name. So... Anyway, it's uh, funny because when Bob and Dave came to me and we came up with the double black concept, yeah, they wanted to call it the Randy Doyle Collection. I said, absolutely not. It's just yeah. not me. I don't want to put my name on something. It just it 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 just didn't seem right. So we agreed to bring in a friend of mine that's an independent, you know, brilliant business guru and yeah. marketing strategy guy, and and I agreed that whatever he decided, I'd go with. So yeah. I thought, well, I had all the presentations done. Dave and Bob flew down. They had theirs done. Yep. Um, they brought one big um, piece of equipment. They brought in an arsenal uh, of howitzers. And I didn't know they were going to do it. And they had pre-printed bottles. Ah. I gave it to the guy. And Jason, good friend of mine, yep. put it to Jason. Jason looked at him and he goes, yeah, you're putting your name on it. Yeah. And yeah. In five minutes it was over. And looking back, again, it was with the right intent. Yeah. It was an ego. It nope. was, you know, and, and I'll tell you, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made was tying in a with P and S yeah. uh, because it brought relationships like this up to the front. And then B is, is like you said, the quality, I want to make sure that it's yeah. got my name on it and that reputation I've worked, you know, uh, nearly 40 years for now. Exactly. Gordon, how can it be that we've worked this long? I know. I know. Yeah. I, you know, it's crazy, Randy. I, I, I reflect back on the detail industry a lot. Uh, it, it's actually something I, I, I'm cleaning something every day in my life, whether it's an old vintage motorcycle or one of my old cars, whatever. I've never left it. I, I've left it professionally, but I've never left it. And I look back at, at the evolution of the industry, of, of what you and Chris are doing with your, with your classes and teaching and you know, it is funny. I mean, I felt like a Lone Ranger. Um, and that's another way that I connected with Bob. Bob had a big client up in 
uh, the San Jose area, a big Mercedes dealer, and they were having issues with black cars. And at that time, I was, I'd kind of made a name for myself with dark finishes and, you know, wet sanding, finishing them with no swirls, which was, you know, back then it was, I have to admit, it was really tricky because look at what we were using. You know, I mean, seriously, <laughs> it was, it was like taking the hammer out, you know, yeah, oh, totally, totally. But, you know, I look at, you know, how, how I kind of learned the ropes, which inspired me to learn how to paint car. I mean, and this is something I encourage anybody in the detail business you know, develop. If you're not going to become a painter at some stage in your life, at least befriend one and get into their world, spend some time in the booth, um, get, ha, establish a relationship and a rapport with a body shop. There is something about when you're trying to make paint look the best it possibly can, there's something about knowing what is going on with that paint all the way down to the substructure, whether it's carbon fiber, aluminum, metal, whatever. There's something about that knowledge that you can pick up with a body shop. Um, it, that's a whole other world. And then for, for them, you're a whole other world because you're able to take their finished product, which they think is done when they've knocked the nibs out of the paint, you know, swirled it up typically pretty good and sent it away with a coat of wax. So it looks good for 20 minutes. Um, you know, you can make them look like a hero by taking that car to the next level with your paint correction skills. Yeah. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. And I got to tell you, I, I can't suggest it enough. What you learn is amazing and there's no end to the learning. It is. It's a great point. You know, and sometimes I, I always tell myself, boy, I, would, I wish I would have stuck, stuck it out and just become the painter side of it, you know? Well, yeah, it's funny, Randy. You know, I think a lot of us from that era, we, we figured out how to paint cars because we had to, because of that edge you burned on the lacquer job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't realize sometimes lacquer didn't burn through. It just kind of flung off the car. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, and again, sometimes you just don't know. It always cracks me up. They'll say, hey, go out to a wrecking yard and buy the hood of a car and practice on the hood. Yeah. And I'm thinking, no, don't buy a hood. Buy a fender with a lot of crease lines. Oh, yeah. If yeah. you really want to teach yourself how to make this paint look good, don't buy the hood. Buy the fender. So. Yeah. Boy, is that not true. Now, let's, let's go into something that wasn't, wasn't listed on our, our notes. Team Molly. Oh, yeah. Is, you know, uh, I, 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 I try to leave Molly alone during the events because she, uh, like, 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 like many of us, um, she's such an anchor you know, for you. And I can see Molly, and it's just an observation, but she is such an incredible set of eyes, an incredible partner for you in many ways, just from the outside looking in. Uh, so, you know, you guys have been married for a long time. You've yep. obviously partnered up on this. How important is that relationship in, 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 in getting your mind right within the events in your, in your business? Well, it's everything, you know, it's, I could not be doing what I do without her support. There's no doubt about it. You know, in real life, Molly's an artist. And mm -hmm. so, you know, she's one of these few people that can live in both sides of her brain. She's very creative and talented in that arena, but she's also very business minded. So she keeps me on track. Um, I'd mentioned ADD earlier on. I'm not kidding. Uh, I I'm all over the place. I mean, I, yeah, I think you can relate to that, Renny. <laughs> yeah. I'm all over the place. And, you know, Molly is always there to say, hey, did you, um, did you ever follow up with so-and-so? You were just talking to them the other day about that. It's like, oh, that's right. She's, she's like that uh, in a kind way constantly. You know, she's, she really is. You mentioned it. She's an anchor. Um, as far as the look and feel of what we do at the Jet Center, you know, we convert eight acres and about 60,000 square feet of hangar space into an interesting environment. And that's, that's all, that's all Molly. You know, there's, there's a lot of organization behind that. So I know Gordon McCall, the car guy, Gordon McCall, the bike guy, but I don't know much about Gordon McCall, the aviation guy. What's the tie in with aviation? I've always had an interest in aviation running. I think uh, anything mechanical uh, has, has been intriguing to me and flying is just something that I've always been intrigued by. My shop was located at the Monterey airport. So you know, I've always had access to some really interesting aviators. Molly's dad, uh, interestingly, has since passed away, but Molly's dad was the last commanding officer. He was a Navy guy. Last commanding officer of the active then Annex Naval Air Station at Monterey Airport. So he was there with, he flew a Corsair. They built an F4U out of parts. Um, 
I got to be around all of that. Uh, the SNJ trained a lot of ex-military on the Monterey Peninsula. So there were a lot of BT-13s, a lot of SNJ, T-6 Texans, a lot of just, you know, and I would go up with these guys all the time. So what ended up happening with that though, is I've also got a very good friend who's made a living flying airplanes. He was a senior captain, recently retired for United, flew 747s. And I'll never forget his words many, many years ago when he said that in his view, and I respect his view, that his view that is flying is not a hobby sport. It's, it's a perishable skill. And it's not, it's not like golf or cycling or something you can put away and come back to. It's like, if you're not flying twice a week, you, 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 you probably shouldn't be. And, and I, so I never became a licensed pilot. Uh, but being based at the Monterey Airport, I really didn't need to and still don't feel the need to because I get to go up all the time and fly with guys and, and you know, take the controls on occasion. It's kind of the best of both worlds. It is. So, it's, it's a gift. You, you, so you saved a little money that way, too. And yeah. a little bit. A and a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the best friend with the boat. It's a lot better than owning the boat, you know? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. No kidding. There's something that's not a fun topic. How has COVID affected this year's events for you? Well, um, yeah, they're in the rearview mirror. You know, we uh, we had to quickly make a decision uh, in in the first couple of weeks of March when things were starting to look really, really ugly. Uh, we had to cancel the Quail Motorcycle Show, which would have been held on May 15th. Um, that was a call that, quite frankly, was not that difficult to make. We sat around and realized, hey, we, you know, this is coming up pretty quick. We don't know what's going on. Keep in mind, back then, the health experts were telling us that two and a half million people were going to die in this country. And so, you know, we were scared to death. Everybody was, right? Literally. And so we canceled that show, uh, pushed it into 2021. We'll pick it right back up where, where it was. Um, and then came this big decision about August in Monterey. You know, Monterey Car Week is a pretty big deal. It's, it's, it's one of the larger car event activities that happens in this country. It's a $60 million engine for the Monterey Peninsula in terms of hospitality dollars. Uh, that's an industry that the Monterey Peninsula relies on. And I'd actually done a fair amount of um, kind of front-end uh, media pieces with local news outlets saying, look, you know, Monterey Car Week is a ways away. August is, we don't know what August is going to hold. Let's hold off on making any quick decisions about what we do with with August and people were agreeing with that initially. It's like, yeah, you know, we don't really know what August is gonna hold. So, and, and my point really, Rennie, was look at what Car Week has done on the Monterey Peninsula. Back in 08 with the global meltdown, Car Week was the saving grace on the Monterey Peninsula. It brought people back to the Monterey Peninsula. In 2016, we had huge fires, the Sobranis fires, thousands and thousands of acres burning and no one was coming to the Monterey Peninsula. The tourist trade just stopped. Well, Car Week showed up two weeks after the fires blew south and saved the day. And I thought, you know, this might happen again in 2020. Car Week might be this saving grace. Well, the reality globally of what was going on with this pandemic was that we knew people weren't going to be coming from Europe. Um, and, you know, so we thought, okay, now we need to right-size the businesses. So I immediately shifted gears at the Jet Center, cut the headcount in half for distancing, and kind of reconfigured the business model and had it on track. We were actually gonna wait till the end of May to make a decision. And that's when the Pebble Beach Concours decided to come out and just say, we're, we're canceling this year's event. Well, Pebble Beach Concours is the anchor for Car Week. So the minute they decided to do that, it didn't leave us really with any choice, you know? And then it became an optics issue as well. Um, do we, you know, it's, it's like if you keep in the game, now it's looking like uh, all of a sudden a car show is, is usurping public health. It, you know, not a good, touchy. Yeah, it's touchy. Not, not a good view. And, you know, the Monterey Peninsula, this is, this is kind of the sad part about this. Um, and I mentioned earlier, not to get political and not to be critical, but I like dealing with facts. I've dealt with facts my entire life. That's what I like to go with. And unfortunately, our local health director has been 98% wrong with what, with what the impact is going to be on this peninsula. We're being treated like we're New York. You know, we're just now starting to open back up. Um, you know, there's, there's a good chance we could have pulled this off, but quite frankly, it became too late. So as far as it's a long answer to your short question, I'm sorry. Sorry about that, Rennie. But uh, COVID-19 has affected us hugely. This is the, you know, I've gone to, you know, a flat year of zero. Um, 
Thank goodness for, and this is something, if there's a word of wisdom that I can implore <laughs> or impose on people, uh, multiple streams of revenue. Amen. It, yeah. it is, is a key, a key factor in your life. Um, well, that kind of, that, that kind of leads into your, your latest project, right? Uh, the, uh, the Monterey Motorsports Park um, or Motorsport exactly. Park, I think. Yep. Motorsport um, Park. Yep. What's that? that that's a great question. Yeah, that's something that intrigues me because, you know, vehicle storage and that kind of thing has been on, on the, the uprise lately as, a, as business ventures. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Chris. Um, that's, you know, that, that's what's taken me out of being a one-trick pony, uh, you know, and being an event guy in a world where all events get canceled. Like, all of a sudden, now what do I do? Well, I got involved with a wonderful group of developers um, a few years ago now. This is, you know, things like this take time to develop. And uh, I got in on the ground floor as a partner on this Monterey Motorsport Park. Um, and it's funny because, to your point, it's really interesting what's happened with this shutdown. Uh, the people working from home, we haven't had a choice but to work from home, right? I think people are starting to realize, as the world is opening back up, that working at home is not for everybody. <laughs> there's, there's cats there's dogs there's in some cases small children there's distractions at home and it's tough to be putting together a meaningful business deal when you're at your computer in your pajamas and your <laughs> your dog needs to be fed <laughs> however it is proving that business travel and you know i'm not here to make predictions but business travel to me is probably not going to be what it was prior to this this virus I, I really i don't i think people are seeing that they can do their business without having to actually you know be in front of a group of people to do it so this motorsport park has played into the idea of you can have a place for your cars bikes or whatever and also have an office that's not in your house and most importantly you can own it you get out of the rent game and so right now sba loans are practically at zero um, you know, if you could fog up a mirror, you can qualify for an SBA loan. And so we've had since March 16th, since the shutdown, we've had 20 escrows closed. So we've got 90,000 square feet, uh, approximately 85 units, of which we are now 72% sold out. It went from 50 to 72 during the shutdown. So, you know, th that's been, for me, that's been kind of my, my savior is, you know, being a partner in this deal is uh, for one, bringing the right people to the table because we are creating an ecosystem as well. It's an amazing group of owners that, uh, that own these units. Um, I've been moving into mine. It's give, this time off has been giving me a chance to settle into my, my new space, which is my kind of world headquarters for lack of a better word. Um, uh, it's, and it's given me the time to do that. So it has affected me, but not all for the bad. Well, very That's, cool. So now, right along with that is is opportunity. Is that when I met you, Gordon? When I really when I really got to know you uh, better, is one of the things I said to, to Bob and I were talking about is that Gordon needs to be on a TV series. This guy is so knowledgeable when it comes to uh, the automobile and motorcycles. So that's happening. So tell it's us about your your TV project. Well, interesting, interesting project, Rennie, because I went from being kind of a subject on this um, at the time, uh, they hadn't really defined exactly what this show was, but they knew they wanted to come to Car Week to film. And so they came to our Jet Center event, they came to the Quail, they, you know, I, I, I helped them with lining some key people up for interviews, et cetera. And through the process of doing that, I realized a friend of mine was one of the investors in this, in this show. And I got contacted after they had done my bit and edited it. And they said, you know, we're looking for a host for this show. And here's what it's about. Uh, here's what our other episodes are. Would you be interested in hosting it? Uh, well, I, you know, I'm not a TV host, but uh, I don't need cue cards when it comes to the car and motorcycle thing. So, you know, I'll, I'll try it. I'll give it a shot. So long and short of it is I've, I've now hosted, we've got four seasons in the can that here's the unintended. This is, this is what's kind of sad about this COVID thing. So we were set to go. We were set to air on Motor Trend TV, uh, the old Velocity channel. And the timing would have been impeccable because everybody was at home with no new content. I mean, they're running reruns of, 
<laughs> of shows that have been off the air for years, you know. I watched a lot of Mayberry. You yeah, know? exactly, exactly. <laughs> Leave it to Beaver, my gosh, I, you know, 14, anyway. So that would have been ideal. So, but without throwing anybody under the bus, what ended up happening is this is a unique way of doing a television show. Most television shows uh, come together, I've learned, with you invest in a sizzle reel, you come up with a concept, you invest your own money in one episode that's not full length. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a quick five, six minute snippet of what it is you're doing. And then you go out and you, try, and you buy time. You know, you, you buy airtime. And th that's a bit of a slippery slope. It, it really is. This company has gone about it the other way around. They fully funded four seasons of shooting. And this is international shooting. We've gone all over the world to shoot this thing. They've funded that. You know, our, our partnership has funded that. And all we needed was a sponsor for the television, for the airtime. And we had one, and then the virus hit. Uh -huh. And, and they, they, they put everything on hold, which uh -huh. is what companies, and you know, I can't blame anybody for doing this, but even companies, you know, there's companies that are excelling right now through this pandemic. But it's, again, going back to that word optics that I used earlier, um, it's not a bad time to lay low as well. So we got kicked back. Uh, we'll, we'll air in the fall now this year. If we, if we can get through this virus, which we are, uh, we'll be on the air. It's called the road to Providence. It's a ton of fun. We talk to really interesting people. We get into some really unique collections, not just cars, um, stuff that's tucked away. And for me, what, what is intriguing to me about it is most television shows geared around cars have to do with what they're worth. It's either an auction show or, you know, the, the, someone will buy a car, shop will fix it up in three days. There's a clock ticking and guys are throwing hammers at each other. And, you know, it's a lot of made up content. No disrespect, but it's a lot of made up stuff. Uh, this is real. This is not so much what cars are worth, but it's, it's the why they're worth what they're worth. Why do people collect the things they collect? Oh, wow. it's, it's more about people than anything else. And that, that's what caught my eye. And it's been a lot of fun to do. We shot all the openings at the Peterson Museum which is a wonderful backdrop for that. Uh, just met some neat people and brought some people I know real well to the, to the table that uh, have been a lot of fun to work with. So thanks for asking. Wow, that's amazing. So, so now we get into kind of the fun part. Um, let's, let's, Chris, why don't you lead in for with a, a car question? Because, man, there's some great ones here. So, again, well, we'll let you guys geek out first. I, I know you're into both motorcycles and cars. And I think if I remember right, it all started with motorcycles with you at a young age, but maybe, maybe you could shed some light on that, but do you have a, do you currently have a favorite? Is it motorcycles or cars now, or are they kind of equal in your heart? Yeah, they're intertwined, Chris. Um, you know, that's like, which, which is your favorite kid, you know, thing, yeah. even though I don't have children, uh, motorcycles were there first for me. Uh, I had a bike when I was 14. I still have it, a Honda CL90, a 69 CL90. Uh, complete unauthorized purchase. Um, my mom didn't know about it. I hit it. Typical story. It's everybody's motorcycle story. But that bike taught me everything. It, it taught me how to keep it clean, how to not get in trouble. I knew if I got caught doing something stupid on that motorcycle, the gig was going to be over. So it kept my nose clean. It also kept me um, tuned in with how stuff works because when things weren't working with that motorcycle, I couldn't ask for help. I yeah. to it myself. So it started with bikes. Um, I've got a bunch of them now and have been collecting for years. Uh, I don't really have a favorite. I tend to lean towards race bikes that have a story. Um, I do vintage race motorcycles, which is a lot of fun. Actually, the little collage painting behind me is uh, uh, something my wife has done, which is a lot of fun. Old Norton, Norton going around a track in the 50s. Uh, I really do like the bikes from the 50s and the 60s, but uh, I don't really have a favorite. Um, you know, a lot of guys get into that. A lot of people, they'll be a BMW person or a Ducati yeah. person or, you know, you know how that goes, right? Same with cars. It'll be a Porsche guy or a Corvette guy. I'm not like that. I do have brands that I am, am drawn to, but I'm not, I'm not stuck on, on one. I, I like diversity. Yeah, yeah. And it shows. It shows on the vehicles that you've got. So, what uh, now, Chris? I'm going to go off the counter a little bit here again. What, what, what's if you had to pick out one vehicle that you've owned that was at your absolute favorite that you had to you just just one? What would it be? You know, that's really tough. I, I think everybody's first car is you know it's it's kind of like they talk about your first date, your first you know trip in an airplane, your first. 
it's kind of hard to ignore the significance of your first car and what that meant to you in your life. Um, I had saved up rigorously for my first car. I had saved the money up working at a restaurant in Carmel as a dishwasher. Um, the day I turned 16, I got my driver's license and bought my first car you know, on that same day. So Datsun 510 mm. is what it was. Um, I ended up modifying that car heavily uh, and having a lot of fun doing it. Taught me a lot about cars. Um, and I ended up trading a Datsun 510 for a 1970 Porsche 911 S. So <laughs> that was, uh, and of course now trying to find a Datsun 510 today. Yeah. Um, oh, it's, it's near impossible. It's near impossible. I ended up racing a B sedan 510 for years. Um, I just love those little cars. And, you know, I think I was a little ahead of my time because at the time, nobody really knew what a Datsun was. You know, they really didn't. But now look at Adam Carolla's collection. He bought every significant oh, yeah. racing Datsun 510 and 240Z on the planet. All the Paul Newman cars. Uh, he's got an XBRE car. I mean, he's got them all. And, you know, it now it's like, hey, those are really cool cars. Like, well, when I was growing up, nobody knew what this thing was that I drove. But uh, anyway, I think, Randy, to answer your question, I think my, my 510 is a pretty important car in my life. Well, you know, you know, you, you and I have a little bit something in common. Uh, Dodson's kind of started it for me and cars, too. Um, well, then why are you wearing an Alpha t-shirt, Chris? Come <laughs> on. That's hey, I, I, I like those. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my mom and dad had Datsuns uh, when I was little, and my earliest car memory is helping my dad use model paint to repaint the grill badge on the Datsun out in the driveway. I love it. I love it. Wow. So, I didn't know that. That's, that's pretty cool. cool. So, Gordon, I'll share my first car. I got yeah. it. I uh, got my license the day I turned 16, you know, back yep. then. It's funny because kids, my kids uh, have, I mean, one of my kids waited like a year to wow. get Man, I was like, no, I'm not waiting an hour. No, in school, you know, yeah. to go get my license. So uh, that summer, I bought my first uh, VW, and I've, I've always been in the outdoors. So I bought a, a, a Baja Bug. Oh yeah. So the next day, I'm going down the the the, the freeway. It was my first freeway um, trip with it. I'd never driven a stick shift before, so I'm teaching oh. myself how to drive. Yep. And all of a sudden, all the power goes off in my bug, and it 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 ran over something. Okay. And I was like what's going on? So I limp my way over to the side of the freeway and I'm looking around. And I, as I get out of my Baja bug, I notice there's a battery in the middle of the freeway. Oops. Well, you know, VWs, batteries, they rot out. Well, the pan had rotted out and that was my battery. Sitting on the, so I, I, I went and jumped onto the freeway, got my battery out. It was still workable. I found a piece of wood, put the piece of wood over the top of the hole uh, put the battery back in, reconnected it, and took off. You're good to go. Yeah, it was good to go. And so, you know, like you said, my it wasn't the nicest car, but that I think that started such a passion, right? Yeah. You know, with early cars. It starts somewhere. Well, then, Rennie, I have to ask. So, a few years ago, and I'm pretty sure you had the mafia there at the time. Bruce Myers, the guy that invented the Myers Manx, yeah, showed up with. He brought five Myers Manxes, which were kind of the original Baja bugs. Where they were you know, I, I've got to admit, I didn't realize, and, and Bruce is in his, well into his late 80s now, but he's still, he's still at, he brought Myers Manx number one. We parked it under the wing of the DC3 yep. with the other four Manxes. And I, I thought, you know, with all these crazy over-the-top exotics that are here, people couldn't help themselves. And I didn't realize your background with Baja Bugs. People couldn't help themselves. They're like magnets. They, they just were drawn to the, to the dune buggies. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. It was amazing. And we've got, we've got a, they have an event up here with his very cars and some of his early cars are up here in Big Bear every year. They have a rally up here How fun. and I just go crazy, you know, and then, and then, uh, Chris has actually got a Baja bug. 66. Oh, so, yeah, I, I've, I've got a 66. I I've had it for two years now. I tell people it's the best 4,000 bucks I ever spent. Yeah. Um, you know, it, uh, it, it'll get, sometimes I go to a local car event, it'll get more attention than, uh, you know, the Ferrari 10 spaces over. Absolutely. I love that about it. You know, it's uh, funny when that group left our party that night, you know, it was like midnight or whatever, and they're all getting in their cars leaving. Bruce Myers drives up and it's Myers with an S. I've got a dear friend, Bruce Myers, major player in the collector car world, not to be confused with, with the Beverly Hills Bruce Myers, but Bruce Myers, the, the creator of the Myers Max. He's leaving our event. He drives out. He looks over at me and says, hey, thanks for a great night. I met some really wonderful people and had no idea that my Manxes were going to be this popular. 
he pulls out a Hot Wheels sealed up in the package with the clear thing, and it's a Myers-Manx Hot Wheels, and he signs it, hands it to me, and I thought, you know, this is bizarre. This is the kind of stuff that happens at that event. You know, uh, just crazy little things like that would add up and make the difference. You know, we, you, last year you had a P-51 fly in. Yep. And, and I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I love P-51s, and there are not many P-51s left. Yeah, I'm looking at the structure of this plane. I'm looking at I'm looking at the wings have been shaved a little bit, not much. Uh, there's some alt, alt, alterations. So I walked up to it and it looked like it was a fresh fresh redo. Yeah. So I go, you know, I, I walked up to the pilot, didn't know if it's going to be the owner, and I go, you know, was this aircraft at one time risky business? And his jaw just about hit the ground. Oh brain. my gosh! And he goes, how did you know? And I said, you know, I'm just looking at the. The, the wing, the, the wings, you know, rounded a little bit. Um, it's a fresh redo. And we sat there and had a two hour conversation. Isn't that great? And it's at your event. So celebrities. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I get to watch you in action. It's just, I think Bob and I spend more time watching you and learning than we do, than we do working because it's so magical, but you know, how's it been working with some of the people? I mean, not just celebrities, but, you know, you, you legendary racers. I mean, people that people that the normal walking guy just, I mean, you have no clue of what their legacy has been within the automotive world. How, how important has that been to you? You know, it's interesting, Renee. I learned early on that folks that have become famous in whatever arena they're in, uh, they're still people. They're, they're people. They're like the rest of us. <clears throat> and egos can come in, you know, often in play. <clears throat> excuse me, we've got um, a couple of sports figures that attend our event every year that have these kind of borderline horrible reputations for being just complete, you know, egomaniacs, et cetera. But I'll tell you, when it comes to cars as a common denominator, all that ego stuff just goes out the window and they're a car person, not a Hall of Fame, Hall of Famer, right? It, it, that's, that's the shared interest. So I find that the guard gets dropped. You know, it's like you're in, a, you're in a world that represents a distraction to them. Maybe the world that we make our living in, but it's a distraction to them and they feel lucky to be in it and it comes across. And so I've, um, I've always had kind of a simple approach to people. And I think this plays into today and our, our, our landscape that we're dealing with today. Um, I, I'm drawn to, to good people. I mean, I, I don't care what someone has done for a living, what their successes have been. It's got nothing to do with anything if they're, if they're just not a good person. And it's, you know, I'm not judging people, but at the same time, you know, if someone's nice uh, and they happen to be good at what they do, I, I mean, does it get any better than that? I, it doesn't matter what the background is, right? But I find cars are an amazing equalizer and kind of ground leveler. You know, I, I look at the response that your detail mafia gets from some arguably pretty important folks, you know, CEOs, fortune 400 folks, celebrities, movie stars, whatever. These guys and gals are thrilled to meet the people that are making their cars look like magic. And where else does that, what other arena does that happen in, you know, where there's immediate mutual respect, you know, it's like everybody's getting a kick out of meeting each other. You know, um, I love it when that happens at our event. It well, really you, something that you don't know, maybe, maybe Bob Scherz is, is that you make the mafia celebrities for an evening. Is that when we come into that party and we walk down that red carpet, is you're taking average, just hardworking Americans and you're showing them another lifestyle. I'll never forget Rigo Santana, guy that grew up in East Los Angeles. Yeah, here we go. And uh, we were sitting at a table one night. We were dressed. You couldn't tell who was who. Right. The gentleman walked up, and he's talking to Rigo. He's having this conversation. And he goes, I don't know about you, but as I, the more money I make, the smaller the food gets as we're eating your lovely food for the party. And he laughs, and Rigo laughs, and they eat food. And the gentleman <laughs> walks away, and Rigo goes, man, if he only knew who he was talking to. And so, you know, I've got it. God bless you for for you've always pointed out and made us feel like superstars, but I think that's who Gordon McCall is. I think that why you've done so well, Gordon, is that you have done a wonderful job of making other people that you work with 
feel like they're the superstars. You turn the attention to other people very well, my friend. Well, it's, <clears throat> it's the only way in my book. And, you know, I just admire the dedication that you all have to your trade. Uh, it's a noble profession. It's one that I'm really proud. Uh, and and through, through your guidance, through Bob's guidance, through Chris's guidance, the idea of elevating the world of detailing and bringing it into more of the mainstream. Um, I've believed for years that car dealers are really missing the boat when it comes to what they're doing with their detail departments. In my view, the detail department should be the most important, aside from the sales office, the detail department should be the most important department within that dealership because really the thing that makes the most difference is how the car looks. You know, there isn't a bad car made today. And so I, I just think that detailers deserve the recognition for their skill set. And I'm out there to do whatever I can to help elevate that because it's, it's real. Um, it, it, it comes from being on that side of the coin and understanding the amount of hard work it takes, you know, but on the other hand, it's, uh, it's well-deserved. I mean, detailers are, are hardworking people and I love, I love what you do to help promote, promote the occupation. Well, we've, uh, you know, I think, uh, it's changed a lot since we got our starts. Oh yeah. And, and, and it's good to see these men and women, you know, making it and, and being able to pay the bills and buy, uh, raise families and, and buy houses and invest in like you, um, start up other ventures, you know, and yeah. think big. Um, so if you had a, one piece of advice for a entrepreneur, what would it be? What would it be? Uh, stay, stay on it. You know, don't get distracted. You know, a lot of times I find folks will be working. You'll ask them, you know, God, why are you working so hard? Like, well, there's this boat I've always wanted to own. So it becomes about the boat. Um, I, I look beyond that, look kind of long runway, big picture, you know, do you enjoy what you're doing? Would you enjoy it more if you knew more about what it is that you're doing? Mm -hmm. I've always believed that time and practice really helps equal achievement. So if you invest the time into your trade and then you practice it, and they always talk about practicing law, practicing medicine, never really heard anybody refer to practicing detailing because it sounds like you're a rookie trying to figure out how the wheel works or how, you know, right. Um, but I, I use the word practice in the same term that it's applied in the legal world or the medical world. Stay in it, stay on it, stay in it. There's no end to the learning. Just keep after it. And most importantly, don't ever lose sight of how important your customers are. Your customers are your best mouthpiece. Your best form of advertising comes from word of mouth from your customers. So just make sure you put them first and their needs first and uh, keep learning. Just keep learning and there's no end to what it is you can achieve. Wow. That's great advice. And, you know, it's so true because, and I, you know, tell, I love, you know, humble beginnings. Uh, so many people that are in our, our industry have humble beginnings. And, you know, I suffered from small thinking for mm -hmm. a lot of my career is that I just couldn't imagine, you know, achieving things that others saw in me. And uh, it really held me back. And so the, the quicker you can open your mind that you do, you do deserve that and it's okay to be successful, uh, the better off you are. And it's been an honor to watch, you know, watch you magically work your event and uh, how hard you work, yet I never, I've never seen you turn a person away uh, for a conversation. Yeah. And I think um, that's pretty magical. It brings, uh, brings a lot of, lot of joy to me. I mean, I'm, you know, that's that people, people are amazing. You know, we've, there's some wonderful people in this world and um, it's, it's really a, a pleasure to get to know, know a few. I, I've got to tell you what you guys do at SEMA and I was able to get there last, this, this last year and hopefully we'll have a SEMA this year as well. Uh, just to see what you've done to uh, make a cohesive group of accepted, you know, professional tradespeople in this detailing world uh, to see the level of pride. I mean, you know, everybody's doing the same thing for a living, yet everybody's unique. And what you guys have done to bring them all together is really impressive. And, you know, that didn't exist a few years ago. It just, it didn't. So congratulations for doing that. And, and personally, whatever I can do to be a part of that, I'm in because I, 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 I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. Some great yeah. people in the detailing world. You know, you're kind of like Bob is it's I, I don't hear you say no a lot. I hear I hear you say, let's figure it out. Let's go. Yeah. Let's move ahead. Yeah. Uh, and so, hey, Chris, do you have uh, is there any any other questions you wanted to ask 
car wise i i got one last one i actually had a a, a question sent in that goes along with one that i had you know i was going to ask you uh if there's a car or a motorcycle that you haven't had in your collection yet that you re would really like to and somebody else asked the uh the the popular question uh, money no object uh what what car or motorcycle would you run out and buy today so motorcycle wise i have to say i've i've pretty much got everything i've dreamed about which is and i'm not saying that in a in a funny way i've just been very careful about the bikes that i've acquired over the years and i, I don't know what i have 25 or so old vintage bikes um, i don't see any holes in that collection it kind of comes down to my daily rider um, that tends to change. I was into GS BMWs for years. Um, adventure bike, really fun, mm -hmm. fun bike. I, I mentioned I do vintage race. And so, uh, they're very impractical motorcycles on the street. So these adventure bikes are a ton of fun. I recently shifted over from a GS to a KTM 1290 super adventure, which I find to be a, a really fun bike to put into service. Now keep in mind too, Chris, I've never used the motorcycle as a sole means of transportation. Right. Uh, very conscious of the risk involved. Uh, so I measure that risk. And so I, I'm one of those guys that rides my bike two, three times a week and drives a car the rest of the time. As far as a car, I'm, I, you know, I'm not one of those guys that dreams about owning something that's just worth, you know, house money or whatever. Um, the most exotic car that has caught my attention that perhaps someday uh, I'm into approachable classics. Um, the cars I have now are all cars that quite frankly, anybody can own. Um, I mean, I, I have to admit they're great examples of, of what they are. Uh, but they're affordable. And I, I like that about them. So you get in them, you drive around. It's like, you're not driving something that you're freaked out. If something happens, you just fix it. If something breaks, right? 240Z is a great example or Z28 from the seventies, et cetera. Uh, the one car though, that would really complete the, 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 the array is, is a Ferrari Daytona. Wow. I, grew, I grew up initially in my career uh, working on those cars. So I've spent a lot of time mechanically with those cars. They're amazing cars mechanically. Um, if you look at them, it's one of the, it's one of the best looking cars ever built They're They really are stunning. Um, especially a plexi covered nosed mm. 71, 365 Daytona GTB. Uh, I, I think they're gorgeous cars. They're fun to drive. They've got a really heavy clutch, so they're not real easy to drive around town. Six Webers on a V12. Uh, I just think they're absolutely stunning cars. And, you know, quite frankly, yes, they're valuable cars, but they're not in that strata of, Paganis or Koenigseggs or and no disrespect to the hypercars of today, but they're they're a car that uh, they're somewhat approachable. So it'd be a Ferrari Daytona. That's that's yeah. that's the missing link. That's a good answer. I yeah, go that. that's a good answer. So now you said your adventure bike. What 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 is it? Uh, it's a KTM twelve ninety super adventure. Okay, you know that just made me feel very inadequate because if you look way back in there, you're going to see a little uh -oh. fat tire TT two hundred. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's my trail bike. That's my love fun it. bike, you know. I love it. it. But 196 uh, cc's. Uh, but, you know, it's funny. I had a funny story a couple weeks ago. I was up, and these guys on, you know, KTMs are just tearing it up, right? They come up to this big hill. They passed me up like I was going nothing. I get up to the hill. They're trying to figure out how to do it. That thing with the fat tire. Oh, yeah. It goes anywhere. It just putt-putted right up it. We got to the top, and they're like, what is that thing? You know, they're blown <laughs> away. So, Reminds uh, me a little bit, Rennie, are you familiar with what they call the Rocons? Do you remember those? Uh, sure. Yeah, it's got, it's got a little bit of that going with the smaller diameter tires that are a little fatter. They'll go anywhere. They do. They, they may not, you know, light the trail on fire, but they will go anywhere. You, yeah, well, that's risk cool. factor. You know, search and rescue, you know, National Guard, uh, yeah. trail bike, you know. It's, yep. So I, I figured I'd, I'd get something that I could walk off of if I fell, you big know, so it would be no big deal. So, well, Gordon, this has been probably one of the funnest um, – the funnest interviews we've done. You're an amazing human being. How do people, you know, what uh, on social media, uh, how do they follow your events and so forth? What, what, what are they looking at? Well, so my website for our, for our event at the Monterey Jet Center is, is really simple. It's, it's McCallEvents.com. Just all one word, McCallEvents.com. Uh, our real estate development is Monterey Motorsport Park.com. And that's park without an S, Monterey Motorsport Park. Mm -hmm. or motorsport without an S, um, motorsportpark.com. And it's really kind of fun for people that are into just kind of seeing what a development can turn into. It's, I have to admit, it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool setup. So montereymotorsportpark.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm uh, Gordon McCall 75 on Instagram. 
and uh, I think I've got a Facebook page as well. <laughs> yeah, there you go, right? Yeah, Instagram. I'm, I'm all about Instagram. Well, yeah. one, of my, one of my bucket lists is one of these days we're going to get you down to the shop. Yeah, the shop looks amazing. Get get in here where it's it's a it's a you know it's a work in progress, right? And uh, I love it. We uh, we're very blessed and lucky. But I, my friend, I hope to see you soon. And uh, thank you for coming on. This has just been a uh, again one of the one of the best interviews we've done. Uh, well, it's it's maybe, my pleasure, my pleasure, Rennie. I I really miss you guys. We're going to miss you all in August. Uh, you know, I am going to do a little kind of depending on what they allow us to do. I am going to have a little shop party uh, at the new place in August in in replace of the big party. So I'll uh, I'll keep you posted. There you go. Do that, my friend. Well, good seeing you, and uh, take care. Have a great uh, have a great rest of the week. And uh, we'll catch you soon, my friend. Thank you. You too, Rennie. Thank you, Chris. Yep. Thank you, Gordon. Appreciate it. All right. Let's go ahead and sign off. This is another uh, successful podcast, one of my favorite. And so uh, we're recording these, for those that don't know. You know, we go out live now. Uh, we'll put the recording up on YouTube. Um, and so we'll, we're going to try to get back on the schedule now that our lives are getting back in. Next week, we're going to be uh, – we're doing a training course, as I mentioned. We're going to do some new stuff. And so uh, I'm going to come out live quite a bit. So be watching for that on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Chris is going to be up here later in the week, Thursday, Friday. And then Chris, next week, we got something exciting is our daughter, uh, Gordon, this is fun. Our uh, daughter graduates from college and she, uh, a, a virtual graduation, but she is getting her commission in the Air Force Wow! Uh, next Friday. And that's awesome. Uh, all virtual, unfortunately, uh, yep. with modern day challenges. And uh, we're pretty pretty excited about uh, the the newly uh, the new lieutenant, uh, you know, being being getting her get get getting her uh, her commission. So, That's something to be proud of, Rennie. Pretty you pretty and proud. Diane, proud. Be proud of that. Yep. Well, hey everybody, signing off. Take care. Have a wonderful day, Chris. We'll see you next week. Happy detailing all. Take care. Thanks, Gordon. Thanks, Rennie. Thanks, Chris. Thanks again. Bye.